This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Father, as we gather together under the the name and reign of Jesus this morning, um, we would pray that the chains would in fact be broken. God, that you would allow us maybe um, during this next few minutes to get a vision of what it looks like to have our, our eyes above the waves that come at us in life that we might remember that, that we are yours. And maybe that's where the life of faith begins and ends, is that we simply remember that we are loved by the maker of it all, called by his name, equipped by his spirit, and sent into his world. Jesus, remind us of it today. Uh, may we gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. We believe if we see him, we'll be changed. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Um, Welcome to South Fellowship Church. You are South Fellowship Church, so welcome to yourself. Um, It's great to be together today. Um, You may not be aware, but we do have a nine o'clock service every Sunday, not just when the Broncos play at 11. So um, if this works out better for your schedule, we invite you Come check this service out every Sunday. Hey, we're jumping into the scriptures today. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians, we're going to start in chapter 2, work our way through 3, and jump into 4 a little bit. That sounds ambitious. Um, it's not quite as ambitious as it sounds at the onset, so just uh, I invite you to go with me on a little journey this morning. Um, over the last four weeks, we've been digging into this beautiful, glorious section of the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Our passage of study really has been centered on verse 18 of chapter 3, and it reads like this. We all, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Now, that's an awesome invitation for you and for I, that, that we would behold together the glory of the Lord as seen in the face of Jesus that we would see Jesus and that we would be transformed. Paul writes, into the same image. So into the image of God, we're being changed. One degree of glory to another. Wow. I mean, that's not a thought that we often dwell on too much, is it? The fact that the almighty creator of everything that we see around us is inviting us by his spirit, through his power, to be transformed, to look more and more like him. I think you could describe the Christian life as a journey of becoming more and more and more glorious, or even beautiful, if you want to look at the word that way, this is a beautiful journey that we are on. So let me just briefly summarize where we've been and then um, build a bridge to where we're going this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've said, one, that we need to have the right foundation in order to start on this journey. That we need to understand that we're new covenant Christians. That means that God has given us a new heart, a new sufficiency, a new righteousness, and a new freedom. That's true of you right now if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. So he said that then needs to be our foundation as we start on this journey. The second thing we said, that the, the, the Christian life begins and ends with seeing Jesus. 
That that's how transformation happens. As we behold the glory of God, we are transformed in, from one degree of glory to the next. So our job, as it were, in the Christian life is behold the glory of God. See his glory. Allow it to get inside of us in a way that transforms us. Last week we said that this isn't a journey that we are to take alone, but that God invited us to walk with one another. He says, in fact, that as we all behold the glory of God, we're transformed. So you see Jesus better with each other than you do alone. Uh, we said last week that the, the soil of Christian transformation is gospel community. That's how God designs us and wires us to grow. So to summarize, God lays this beautiful foundation of grace and mercy. He forms us, he shapes us in community, and then he allows us to sink down roots and just get really, really comfortable and enjoy all the things he's given us. Well, well, here's the thing. The reason that we don't go, come on, fall sin, that's not the gospel. The reason that we don't push back on that, the reason that there was a lot of just like nodding yes and amen, that's what God wants for us, is because that's the message of the gospel many of us have believed. That this beautiful journey is really just about us. See, there's a lot of temptation as we grow as followers of Jesus, as we grow as a church. That we stop seeing the frontiers as a mission field to engage, and we start seeing these walls as a cage to keep us comfortable. That was never God's intention. See, this beautiful journey culminates with a people who are formed under the grace and mercy of the gospel, shaped by seeing Jesus, grounded in community together, and then, and then, and then, and then, launched into the world around us for the sake and the name of the glory of Jesus and our joy as we walk with him. That's where I want to go this morning. That's sort of where I want to land this plane. This is the final in our four-week series that we're calling Beautiful Journey. But I want to look at what we look like from God's perspective. My goal this morning is to share with you four pictures of you from the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of yourself that made you just sort of step back and go, there's no way I look like that. You been there before? Now that we have this um, online digital catalog of all the pictures we've ever uploaded to the internet called Facebook, we can go back and we can see pictures of ourselves and go, there's no way I look like that, right? Um, Now that we record and tape messages, both video and audio, every week I get to go, there's no way I look like that. I don't talk that much with my hands. Well, it turns out I do, right? There's no way I make that facial expression. Well, now that we have video, I can assure you I do. I don't know if you've ever gone back and just looked at yourself and said, there's no way I look like that. I was just going back through um, some of my pictures. And okay, so here's one that I found. Here's one that I found where I thought, there's no way I look like that. Um, This was at a dance party that we hosted um, for college students in North County, San Diego. And sure enough, um, I am in a suit wearing flip-flops with a Michael Jackson glove on. Praise be to God. (laughs) Now, I think that's what my face looks like when I worship here in the front row. So you should be glad that you're not up here looking at me. There's no way I look like that. 
Sure, it was a Halloween costume one year, and so was this, but my thought was, as I saw it, there's no way I wore that. There's no way I looked like that. Now, luckily for you and I, I have matured over the years, and so there's no more incriminating pictures of me <laughs> where you'd look at them and go, there's no way I look like that. I don't know if you've ever maybe heard the sound of your own voice and thought, I don't, I don't sound like that, do I? And you ask your spouse and they go, oh yeah, that's what you sound like. <laughs> no, that's not me. I want to paint for you four pictures this morning. Four pictures of you. Pictures that the scriptures are going to say are, are true of you. Now my guess is, my guess is, you're going to look at them and go, There's no, that doesn't look like me at all. <laughs> That doesn't look like me at all. I don't look like that. I don't talk like that. I that's not me. Now, oftentimes, it's ironic because oftentimes when we see pictures of ourselves, we go, there's no way I look like that. And it's in a negative fashion. Now, what I want to do is paint four pictures for you from the scriptures. And my guess is you're going to push back on them and go, there's no way I look like that because they're so positive. Second Corinthians chapter two, we're going to start in verse 14. Pictures of you. My guess is some of them might shock you. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, that's, that's you and I, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the, say it with me, aroma. We are the aroma. We are the smell of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So you smell the same to everybody. They just interpret that smell a little bit different. To one, the fragrance from death to death. The other, the fragrance from life to life. See, I don't know if you, you know this about yourself, but you are currently, right now, the fragrance of Christ to the world around you. Um, here, here's the way we'll say it this morning. You are the aroma of Christ, and by that, Paul means the reality of Jesus' victory. See, here's what Paul does. He uses a metaphor, and these are all going to be metaphors. They're going to be pictures. He uses this metaphor of, um, that, that everybody in this Corinthian church would have understood. It was the picture of when an emperor would win a victory or win a battle, there would be a big parade in the town. Um, think confetti, think food, think party, think singing, and, and think also... The king's men coming through the procession, holding a big ball of incense, swinging it back and forth with the aroma of victory spreading to everybody in the crowd who would be near. Even just the verbiage of saying the aroma probably stirred in them this visual image of victory procession walking through the streets. The king has been victorious. And what Paul writes is that that's the way your life is to the world around you. So, what emotions stir in you as you look at that picture of yourself? Is it, oh, there's no way. 
Not, not my life. Not, not the way that I live. But, but, but here's, here's what's true about you. Here's what's true about you. And see, what we believe about who God is and about who we are influences the way that we live. When you walk into the office tomorrow morning, the aroma of Christ goes with you. When you walk home, or well, you probably didn't walk here, but when you get home from church this morning, the aroma of Christ goes with you. When you get into that conversation with your spouse, boyfriend or girlfriend, that aroma of Christ goes with you. See, what he's describing is people who have this life and this joy, people who have this hope and this confidence, people who have this conviction that Jesus was in the grave three days and walked out. He was the first fruits of everything that we now are because of faith in him. That's beautiful. That's glorious. You are the aroma of Christ. Here's why I love this. If you were to read back just a few verses, starting in verse 12, listen to the context that Paul writes this in. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though there was a door open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So he was, he was looking for his friend Titus, didn't find him. His spirit was not at rest. It was just wrestling inside of him. He said, so I took leave of them. I left and I went to Macedonia, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. Here's what Paul's saying, that even when we don't feel like it, and even when on the outside it may look like we're failing or we're falling short or we've just come up way, way, way short of what Jesus intends for us to be, you still carry the aroma of Christ. <laughs> I had a, I'll just be honest with you, I had a rough week. So I'm reading this, I'm studying this, and I go, Lord, I smell like a lot of things right now but it's not Jesus, right? Like, I am wrestling. And I think what Paul invites us to and the Holy Spirit invites us to through the words of Paul to this church is, hey, church, even when you feel beat up and even when you feel betrayed and even when you feel beat down and even when you feel like there's nothing coming out of you, if the gospel's inside of you, it will get out. It will get out. You are the aroma of Christ. Will you say it with me? Say, I am the aroma of Christ. I am the aroma of Christ. And I have these confessional statements after each one of these. If I forget, remind me. Second picture. Going right on, right on chapter three, starting in verse one. Second picture, second metaphor. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? See, Paul's um, writing uh, this letter in large part to defend his ministry. Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with spirit, the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Second picture. You read it for it? First, you're the smell of the victory of Jesus. He conquered the grave to the world around us. Second picture. You are God's letter to the world. The message of grace. 
One of the things that's been, I think, worst for, really bad for Christianity is that followers of Jesus have no idea what the scriptures actually say about who they are. In this letter, Paul says, you are a letter from God to the world around you. When you walk into a situation, you are a letter from the divine saying, this is my son or daughter, my child whom I purchased with my blood, whom I love. And by my grace, nothing in their own merit, they are called mine. Did you catch it? The way that Paul said this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ to be read by all. Wow. See, Christ is the author, the Holy Spirit is the ink, your heart is the canvas, and the world is the audience. If you've ever wished, have you ever wished, man, I wish there was a little bit more to the scriptures. I wish God had, had told us a little bit more. Well, maybe Paul's saying, well, there, there is. It's not authoritative in the same way, but God's writing a letter still. God's sending a message still. God's breathing hope still. Through his scriptures, yes and amen. But what this passage would say is also through your life. You are a letter from God to his world, meant for all to read. So if you have a story of grace, you have a story of grace to share. You have a story of grace to to tell. You have a message that God designed the world to hear. And in the good times and in the bad, they need to read it. They need to see that when people persecute you, the the letter that God sends is, I will forgive in the same way that Jesus forgave me. When you get a little bit beat up, the message is, yeah, he was beat up too, and and his grace is sufficient for me in this. The the letter needs to read, I walk by joy because the spirit of God lives inside of me, and regardless of what happens in this world, I am his child. I'm redeemed, adopted by him, and I am his. That's the way the letter reads. And I think the letter starts to read a little bit more bright and a little bit more bold as the world we live in gets darker. I wonder... What does your letter read like? If your life is a letter from God to the world. If people just looked at you, what would God be like? I don't know. Would he be angry? Would he be bitter? Would he be merciful? Would he be gracious? If people read your life, what does the letter of God look like? What a beautiful invitation from God to receive from him through his spirit transformation in our souls and then to be on display, just like incense going out into the world, to be on display for the world to look at our lives and to read it. Can you look up at me for just a second? People are reading your life. People are currently reading your life. The question is, What kind of narrative are they reading? Are they reading one where love is the ethic? Are they reading one that hope just exudes from? 
Are they reading one where they say we, we, we long for a world that, 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 that exists that's better than this world? Is that what they read? See, because I think what Paul suggests here as we look back, that, that the fragrance of Christ that comes out of our life, some it smells like death, and to some it smells like life. Well, why is that? Why does it smell like death to some people? Because it is death. It's dying to ourselves. It's surrendering to the love of Jesus. It's saying like Paul does, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's Christ who lives. He lives in me. Hey, that looks like death to some people. People who who don't realize that in order to live, we must die. We must surrender. Is that what your letter looks like? Your letter to the world around you. First picture, we're the aroma of Christ. Second picture, we are a letter from God. Third picture, picking up in verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Just a quick time out. Friend, I hope you have confidence. Not in and of yourself, not because you're awesome. Hey, newsflash, you're not, okay? But Jesus is. Jesus is, and all these metaphors are going to have that in common. It's not about the carrier of the news. It's about the news that we carry. But I hope you have confidence. I hope you don't fear God, because that's not New Covenant Christianity. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Picture number three. You are a servant of the new covenant, the promise of life. You're a servant of the new covenant. Now, there's a ton of implications for that. We're going to scratch the surface a little bit this morning, and then I want to launch you into sort of trying to wrestle through what that looks like and the implications of that for whatever context you find yourself in. But this word minister, this word minister that Paul uses, we are ministers of the new covenant, is the same word that's used in this beautiful gospel story of Jesus turning water into wine. There's a wedding that's going on. And Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, hey, they've run out of wine. If you could graciously turn this water into wine, we'd all be a lot happier, Jesus. And he says, woman, my time has not yet come. And she, like any good mom, says to the servants, the ministers, same Greek word, do whatever he tells you. Um, These are the people with the towel over their arm at the wedding saying, can I get you anything else? Um, These are the people who, when you went out to dinner last night, they came up to your table and they gave you a menu and they said, this is what we're serving. What would you like? You are a minister, um, a waiter of the new covenant. Not that we serve the new covenant in that we do whatever it wants us to do. That's not the picture that Paul's painting. We are a minister of it in that we get the platter and we carry the message. We come up to the table and we say, this is the menu. This is what's on God's menu. Well, it's not, it's not law, but it's spirit. 
And it's not condemnation, but it's righteousness. And it's grace, and it's mercy, and you, 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 you have this beautiful invitation. Take it to the world around you. Paul says it's, it's not letter that we carry, but it's spirit. Do you have the conviction? We just look up at me for a sec, just a second. When you live the gospel, share the gospel with your words, with your deeds, do you have the conviction the Spirit's at work? Or do you feel like you have to do it all on your own? Do you feel, I've got to to say the right thing. If I don't say the right thing, well, then there's no way this is going to happen. That's ministering the letter. (laughs) Ministering the Spirit is sharing the truth of the good news of the gospel and allowing the Spirit to work. And my guess is if we were to get up here and each of us tell our story, Very few of us would say, oh yeah, I can remember the exact words that somebody said that sealed the deal. (laughs) My guess is far more the mantra would be, I don't exactly know how that happened. But it seems as though God did something in my heart and in my life. Anybody want to testify to that just by raising of hand? That's the way it worked? Yeah, yeah. And so he says, That's what we get to serve up. It's what Jesus served. It's what Jesus served. Listen to the way that John records it in his gospel. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You may have seen this on a sign at a football game um, or heard it at some point, but John writes this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We, we love that part. We celebrate that part. We have it on signs. We memorize it. But I think the second verse is just as necessary to see a picture of our God. For God did not, did not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order, uh, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's his purpose. That's, that's new covenant waitering. It's serving up the message and the hope of the gospel. He says, we're not servants in verse 9. We're not servants of the ministry of condemnation, but the ministry of righteousness. So this has huge implications for what we actually do in the world, does it not? It has huge implications for the gospel message that we share, does it not? Because it starts and it ends with God is glorious and God is good and God is redeeming his world. Repent, which is this beautiful, glorious invitation. Come home and believe the good news. I think far too often our gospel presentation is repent and behave instead of repent and believe. That far too often our gospel presentation actually centers around condemnation rather than righteousness. I think that's the message that's communicated. Now, 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 I know where you're going. You're going, all right, well, Paulson, don't we need to tell people they're sinners in order for them to repent? Sure. Well, what do we mean by that, though? What do we mean by people are sinners? See, because I think if you were to boil sin down, 
At its core, what you have is unbelief. Is a lack of faith. Do people need to repent of that? Yep. What does that look like? It means a changing of mind and a changing of direction. God, you are real. God, you are good. God, you are Lord. Jesus, you are king. And I humbly bring my life under your lordship. So yes, people need to recognize that they're sinners, but but by that we mean they don't believe. And that's what comes out of their life. Here's a way that um, Robert Capone puts it. I, I like this phraseology he uses. In the Bible, the opposite of sin, with a capital S, is not virtue. Okay? So that's important. The opposite of sin is not righteous living. The opposite of sin is faith. Faith in a God who draws all men to himself in his resurrection. Picture number one, you're the aroma of Christ. Picture number two, you are a letter to the world around you. Picture number three, you are a servant, a waiter, a minister of the new covenant of the grace of God. You get to hold it out for the world to receive. Fourth picture, fourth picture. In chapter four, after describing this beautiful picture of transformation, Paul goes back to talking about this ministry that he has. In verse one, he says, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So he's like, he's just holding on. (laughs) He is holding on and he's preaching to these people who he loves, hold on to. Verse six, and it's up on our screen. He says, for God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, referring back to creation, has shown in our hearts, he's created something new in us, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He shined that in our hearts. Paul continues, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure? This treasure of the glory of God in the face of Jesus the treasure of the the presence of Christ that dwells in us if we're followers of his. Everything he's talked about, new heart, new righteousness, new hope, new conviction, new sufficiency, new freedom, new vision for transformation. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels. He's talking about our bodies, In ourselves, we carry this hope. We carry this message to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Picture number one, you're you're like the aroma of Christ. Picture number two, you're a letter from God. Picture number three, You are a servant, a waiter of the new covenant, getting the opportunity to serve it to the world around you. Picture number four, you're like a jar of clay. And inside of you, there's treasure for the world to see, for the world to receive. 
Back in these ancient times, they would, they would sort of, because they didn't have banks, right, or, or ways to, to really keep things safe, they would hide extremely valuable things in very ordinary-looking objects. So, so you look sort of ordinary. Just be honest with you. You look pretty normal. I mean, you're sort of, you're sort of like a, a jar of clay, and some of you, you look downright cracked. An earthen vessel, a clay pot, a fragile, normal, everyday object. And what the scripture says is, you are. You are. But, but, but. God has chosen divinely to place inside of you his beauty, his glory, his majesty, his spirit. You house it for the world around you. And so when you get bumped a little bit, hopefully that's what comes out. See, we always, we always get to see what's inside of us when we get bumped. When life doesn't go exactly the way that we want it to, when hope seems hard to find, when the job doesn't turn out the way we want, when the school doesn't turn out the way we want, when the family doesn't turn out the way we think it should, whenever we get bumped, we get to see what's inside of us. And what he says is, hey, if you are a gospel person, what's inside of you is treasure by a spirit. You're a really ordinary thing that houses absolute glory and splendor. And you see, here's God's intention. Will you look up at me one last time? God's intention for you is to fill you in order to spill you. His intention for you is that you would be filled with the absolute majesty and the glory of the gospel. And then that your life would be this, this earthen vessel, this jar of clay, where he would then take it and just pour it out to the world around you. I don't know if you, you knew this, but you carry the presence of Jesus into your workplace, into your home, into your friendships, into your recreation, into wherever you go, you are this earthen vessel carrying this absolute glory. We're filled in order to be spilled. And you may go, hey, Ryan, I'm not quite like the evangelist. Like, this is sort of, if that's what you're talking about here, Paulson, I know that's not my gift. So if you would have just said that at the beginning, I would have checked out a little bit more. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, well, in a sense, it is. But can I assure you, you are an evangelist. You are. And we all are. We're designed for it. Evangelism is simply talking about things that we love. It's heralding good news. But if you go to Yelp, you'll see we're all evangelists. Right? This restaurant is great. This restaurant is terrible. You should get this on the menu. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. It's evangelism. It's people that have something inside of them that they need to share because it's that good. Man, I hope you're filled enough 
that when you're bumped, that what you'd spill out is Jesus. And it might look like loving your enemies. And it might look like praying for those who persecute you. And it might look like going the second mile. And it might look a little bit like him. You see, I started to think, what do all these have in common? What do all these pictures have in common? (laughs) Well, I I think in, in all of the pictures that we see, they're all about Jesus. They're all about the way that we get to be Jesus to a world around us. They're all about the way that we not only carry, but we communicate the good news of the gospel. They're all pictures. All of these are pictures. And you may look at them and you go, I'm not sure that's me. But I can assure you, scripture thinks it's you. They're all pictures of the way that God uses very ordinary things to point people to an extraordinary God. So let me ask you, is this what your life looks like? I can assure you it's true. But have you pressed into the gospel enough? Have you gotten it inside of you in such a way that it starts to get out of you? See, because the reality is, friend, the beautiful invitation is not simply that we would be transformed. But that we would be transformers. Maybe sort of like incense that spreads the aroma of Christ. Maybe like a a letter that you open up, that you get in the mail and you read that just drips of grace and of mercy and of the goodness of God. Maybe like a waiter that comes up to a table and opens a menu and says, here's what's on the menu. It's, I'm sorry, we're not serving condemnation today, but we do have righteousness. And, 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 and letter, well, we're not really doing letter, but we are, we're doing spirit. And maybe, just maybe, your life looks a little bit like a really ordinary, broken, cracked pot that's filled with the glory of Jesus. You may have noticed over the last few weeks, you you may not have, but over our beautiful journey series, we've actually been talking about why we exist as a church. If you go back and you listen to these four messages, they're really um, giving a foundation and then a vision of who we would become. That we would be people of gospel transformation, that we'd be changed by the grace of God, that we would be people who live in life-giving community because that's the way that God designed us to live, that we'd be shaped by relationships, and that we would be people who live out our faith, maybe like a fragrance or maybe like a letter or, or even like a waiter or a jar of clay. That we would live out our faith. It's not something we just keep inside, but it's something that we get to share because we're sent in love. This is who we are. And this is who we long to become more and more and more. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, um, in this in this moment, I, I just I pray, would you search us? Would you know us? Would you point out if there's any way offensive in us? Would you lead us in the way everlasting? Father, are there areas where we don't believe the picture of ourselves that you tell us is true? Spirit, are there areas you're inviting us to push into in a little bit different way? Lord, I think the beauty of all these pictures is they look different in each one of our lives. Uh, For some, it's gonna be, Lord, you're just gonna ignite their heart for the broken and for the hurting and you're gonna ask them to be the aroma of Jesus to the homeless, to the people that come to the food bank every Saturday. Lord, for some, I I really, I believe you're gonna ask them to be this letter that maybe maybe our kids here get to read. Lord, that they might tell of the glory and the grace of Jesus to this next generation. Father, for some, they're going to be ministers, waiters, the new covenant, Lord, in teaching classes that point people to the beauty of Jesus. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would allow us to receive the truth that we are, in fact, jars of clay. Fragile, brittle, broken, needy, but filled with a weighty gospel, the glory of Jesus, and the truth that his kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, help us to embrace the picture of who you say we are. And may we live out of the fullness of that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.